When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. With the pandemic around us for now uh, more than a few months, a lot of industries are getting impacted. And one of them, which has been in the news for quite a while now, uh, where there have been a massive disruption, is oil and gas. I have with me today, Mr. Santosh, to discuss what's happening in oil and gas industry, specifically in oil will focus today. Uh, Santosh is uh, chief executive of Lone Star Group. He is also on the board of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. And uh, he has been in the global arena uh, in oil and gas, very knowledgeable. They have worked in various geographies, very well connected. And uh, he also carries expertise about this industry with him. So, Santosh, welcome to today's episode. Thank you, Mahesh. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, thank you for having me back. Wonderful. So, Santosh, we have seen a lot of stuff uh, happening around us. Uh, I, I would like to start with some data and then take your perspective on it. So, okay. if you look at oil and gas industry, 1946, the price of oil, $16.5. March of 1957, in 10 years, it is up by around $12 at 28.61. And then, in April of 1980, almost 30 years after that, uh, from 1946, I'm counting, it is 125.89. Here comes November 1998. It's almost like 50 years down the line. The price is 17.66. It's a pretty wild fluctuation. The same thing, let me just now come fast forward. June of 2008, $165.20 for a barrel. And as recently as February, of this year to 2020, it was 53.54. And now I've taken as a reference, exactly a week ago, up April 21st, it was 11.57. Now, what is happening in oil? So, as I listen to you, Mahesh, rattle off the data, the numbers, uh, two things come to mind. One is, you know, when you think about oil price, uh, for most of your listeners, uh, they're really multiple elements to oil price. Now, you, you know, we usually talk about, uh, you know, WTI, which is a West Texas intermediate price, uh, which is slightly disassociated from a Brent crude, which is traded uh, in London. Uh, yes, and then there are many to, other... Sorry, Santosh, sorry to disrupt you. You're so right. I gave the WTI prices. I should have specified. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then when you talk about uh, just North America, WTI is just one price. You know, uh, in, in Western Canada, you have a separate uh, price. In Mexico, there's a Mexico basket. Uh, so there are many different prices. So let's touch WTI for a second. It's highly influenced by geography. And even within WTI pricing, there are really multiple elements to pricing. What are we talking about? Are we talking spot pricing, like it is traded within the current month, uh, where contracts expire at the end of the month or at the end of the future month? For instance, uh, what you did not mention is WTI actually went into negative territory, right? Minus what 37 point some dollars. Yes, yes. Uh, which uh, was, was for spot pricing, right? That went down, you know, a day before the futures contract for the month of May ended. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why that's important to note versus a future price of oil, right? Which is the oil strip where, you know, folks make good predictions on what oil is going to be trading at a month from now, two months from now, five months from now, ten years from now. So let's let's address one bit. Right? Spot pricing is generally based on people's ability to take oil. You know, there are two kinds of traders, right? There are traders that actually need the oil, mm -hmm. 
uh, like certain countries, like refineries. And then there are people that are speculating, trying to make money by being a middleman that don't actually intend to take physical possession of oil anyway. So uh, I'd like to let folks know that the element of speculation, like an ETF called USO, for instance, they got caught short uh, of storage. So they did not take into account that COVID, for instance, which is clearly you started out with the pandemic, and clearly we're going through a black swan event. We've got two different things going on. We've got the price of oil, which you rightly pointed out, has started falling before the pandemic actually became a pandemic. I mean, we knew that uh, there was an issue in China, but nobody really understood the seriousness of the issue. And my suspicion is there were lots of contracts that were made for April and May, not taking into consideration the demand drop, both from uh, the COVID-related issues and the supply glut, because the Saudis and Russians decided they were going to pump at the maximum. So I think, you know, I can take them one at a time, right, uh, and then, um, you know, have, have a conversation about the specifics. The other thing that I think we could talk about is what is the current demand? How much of that is influenced by the two factors I mentioned, uh, the Saudi-Russia fight for market share? And the other bit is uh, COVID and their influence. You know, clearly COVID exacerbates the issue that we have with the glut anyway. And then we can talk about potentially uh, future demand and where we think oil might be, you know, um, any, what do you think? That's fantastic. So, so you're so right. Okay. So as, as the market is going negative, which you can call is more speculative uh, <clears throat> with, with the futures contact, contracts. And uh, basically, um, the first look, if uh, it is not explained as well as you just did, uh, it would appear that this is probably the lowest price of oil since 1870. Even if the, if you think it has gone to negative, nobody has ever thought in 150 years that in the spot go negative. And, and if I just relate to another, another data, so that was the number since 1870, we know. In the same period, the U.S. inflation went up almost 2,870%. And you know the S&P 500, if you see, since it has come into inception, it has grown up like 31 million percent times. So there is right. there is something which needs to be understood, and you explained very well how it happened. So if you can talk a little bit about the May contracts and June and the relationship, then we'll come back to the supply-demand side. Yeah, so, so look, generally speaking, you know, I'm going to use round numbers, but the numbers are close, they're not accurate. Generally speaking, there's about 100 million uh, barrels a day, was 100 million barrels a day worth of demand globally for oil. Um, and generally speaking, supply would hover around that, you know, maybe two or three barrels, million barrels a day, more than demand. And it doesn't take a lot of difference between supply and demand for prices to, um, you know, to swing, uh, to fluctuate uh, wildly. Um, you know, there was a lot of discipline within what's called the OPEC Plus group. They had managed their production uh, to a point where they thought they were doing well. Um, unfortunately for them, and soon, unfortunately for American producers, uh, the U.S. went from producing, you know, under 4 million barrels a day to uh, 13.1 million barrels, which was the U.S. production in February this year, uh, which is uh, 8 million barrels per day increase of supply. Now, clearly in the U.S., uh, it's highly um, capitalistic in nature, and folks will invest heavily if there's an opportunity to make a few bucks, uh, whereas the larger oil producers, especially a cartel like OPEC, uh, they had an interest to keep production discipline uh, so as to manage oil prices, you know, at various levels. Take, take, for instance, Saudi. You know, they need oil to be over $60 a barrel uh, to be able to satisfy uh, their budget, to be able to balance their budget. Similarly with Russia, most folks don't appreciate this, but 50% of Russia's uh, revenue intake comes from the price of oil. So um, with the... Uh, 
transparent to that with the supply glut, which well, didn't exist you know, prior to the Shea play. Um, oil just, you know, the supply of oil uh, uh, in the world just started getting, um, you know, much more than demand was growing. So what happens if you're speculating in that space? If all of a sudden there's a big supply increase or a demand drop. Now, what happened was more of a supply increase, which then uh, was exacerbated by a demand drop. You now had 15, 20 million barrels a day of excess capacity, excess supply with no place to store it. It's crazy. I mean, there are very large uh, shipping um, uh, ships out there that are now floating around on the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States just carrying oil. So uh, oil is a commodity that's very difficult to store. As you, as you know, it requires a lot of volume for not, you know, ironically, what most pe- people don't understand, a lot of value. Uh-huh. Like a, barrel, yeah, a barrel is only 35, um, you know, or so U.S. gallons. And, uh, you know, when you think about the price of oil at, at 20 or 30 bucks, it requires a lot of space to store. So storage gets really expensive. And as many people found out uh, on that fateful day when oil went to negative 37, it's because it was actually better off for them to unload the oil because they just couldn't find a safe way to store oil. Will this happen again? Likely. Will this happen in other parts of the world? Also likely. Uh, the disadvantage for West Texas was West Texas Intermediate comes from West Texas, requires pipelines. Uh, to send it to places where it's going to be consumed, you know, usually the U.S. Uh, West Coast, Gulf Coast, if you will, uh, where the refineries and petrochemical facilities are, or for export into shipping terminals. Once those pipeline capacity got filled up, you had nothing you could do with the oil, and you were supposed to take physical delivery of the oil, and hence folks saying, I'm just going to unload it. Um, I think I hopefully people learn from it, and either the ability to store uh, crude oil goes up, or... Mm people get better at, um, you know, really understanding real supply and demand uh, mm. before they go out and, and uh, write contracts. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point to bring in, the spe- speculativeness, because if you see the Monday carnage, when everything was going down, it was getting into negative territory, and it's unheard of, oil going down 300%, which was more speculative nature uh, because of the future contracts. On that day, June future contracts were still holding. They were uh, they were about twenty bucks, maybe twenty two or so. But on Tuesday, okay, Brent was also holding because that's more international. But on Tuesday, the right. Ju- June contracts also went down almost forty percent, uh, and they were down to almost fifteen, sixteen dollars a barrel. That that gives indication what you exactly said. That you know, yeah, they, they were rolling the contracts so, for uh, for May, but on Tuesday they realized even in June you will not have capacity to physically take delivery. Start getting out of it. Uh, what we'll do? Right. Uh, uh, great discussion, Santosh. We'll take a quick break, and we'll continue our discussions after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. 
you are listening to a discussion with uh, Santosh, Chief Executive of Lone Star Group. And uh, we are talking about what's happening with oil during this time of pandemic. So Santosh, you explained very well uh, why the prices fluctuated in in the recent past, how it went to negative on WTI and uh, what's happening all around with this pricing. But can we now move on to see where are we on the demand side? Yeah, so um, look, in, in, in the end, while there was some speculation, there was also clearly the concerns that oversupply um, was um, was imminent in that the Saudis and the Russians had decided that they were going to go after market share. And the Saudis had said that they were going to increase production uh, from 9.7 million barrels a day to over 12 million barrels a day. I believe the number was 12.3 or something like that. Uh, clearly, the world did not have the ability to consume that much oil. And, you know, unless there was some major supply interruption, uh, the the um, the gap between supply and demand was going to be too high for prices to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Those of us in the industry were already preparing uh, for a downturn. Uh, what we didn't expect uh, was also the impact of COVID. We didn't expect that the world was going to be practically shut down. While it's not entirely shut down in every country, it's practically shut down um, and demand has significantly dropped. We don't know what those numbers are. But it's apparent from the price going down to negative that current demand well, you know, falls well short of where current supplies are. So there is the element of current demand and supply. There's a lot of uncertainty in that space. You know, I can offer a few thoughts, uh, but mm-hmm. I can't offer you really any data. Nobody can. And mm-hmm. then I think we can maybe talk about long-term supply and demand, right? So in the in the current context, uh, Mahesh, I think. Uh, it is pretty clear that we'll have to make some significantly deep cuts to production mm-hmm. uh, because we're running out of storage. You know, we addressed this in the last segment. Storage uh, is now key. If you have storage facilities, you're king. I, you know, a friend of mine jokingly said, you have a swimming pool in your backyard. Why don't you empty it and buy a few barrels of oil? Actually, <laughs> but not a bad uh-huh. idea. Uh-huh. If we didn't have any environmental concerns around it, and I'm not sure my family would appreciate uh, swimming in crude oil, no pun intended. Um, so in the in the short, short term, I think I think there are going to be challenges. I think folks would have to uh, cut back production. Now yeah. there are going to be some really big challenges for North American producers. You know, most North American producers and supply companies, you know, folks that uh, service the oil industry in general, are uh, half of them probably have really poor balance sheets, and depending on how long. Uh, demand stays depressed, would likely go bankrupt, might likely disappear completely. Uh-huh. Um, as you know, Diamond Offshore just announced the other day that uh, uh, they're going to restructure. You know, the Tish family are very smart. Uh, they understand uh, how grave the situation is. And I anticipate that in the short term, quite a few uh, smaller independents, potentially some of the largest, probably not, not the majors, but larger independents, uh, and a whole bunch of um, service industry drilling contractors, for instance, are going to either have to uh, raise new debt, which I don't think there's going to be a lot of money, uh, or at least a lot of um, you know appetite for folks to put money into the oil industry at this point. Given that, if you you know, we still haven't actually technically gotten out of an oil recession, if you will. I mean, what started in 2015, uh, you know, I've been hoping for the last six years that we'll get better, but clearly has not. So I think there's. Um, that is going to significantly drop the oil field's ability to produce oil. So I think there's going to be a natural drop in uh, capacity, in production capacity, which, you know, is very difficult for the companies that are going to go bankrupt. But you know, if you think about the long-term uh, aspects of oil prices, I think is, you know, the capitalist in me says probably the right thing that needs to happen, right? We've all been building up on speculation and, uh, We've all been hoping that the oil field is going to recover, uh, but it really hasn't. And, you know, black swan events like COVID uh, really makes a fundamental shift in the way we think about business within the oil field realm. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And yes. and, and, and if you look at it, the, the fall in demand has been so phenomenal. 
I think a lot of it is being reflected in now uh, losing the uh, capacity to store. Correct. Because what I Correct. believe that uh, in the month of April only, because of uh, uh, COVID-19, 27 million barrels per day uh, have been removed from global oil demand. It's not that it's going to remain away. As people start uh, driving and start going to office, they'll go up. Uh, but uh, as you rightly said, the number, the, the global number was 100 uh, million barrels per day. It suddenly dropped to uh, 80,000 or even below that in the month of April. That's a humongous number. Even yes. if you, even if you count what you earlier mentioned that uh, Russia uh, and uh, Saudi deal to cut the production by 10%, it could have got them to uh, cater the demand to up to 89 uh, million barrels per day. But it has gone way beyond that. That's, you're, you're exactly right, right? I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, the combined production of uh, OPEC and Russia, and yeah. they decide to cut 10%, that nowhere near satisfies yeah. uh, the drop um, in demand. They need, to, they need to cut probably 40% uh, yeah. to, you know, to match supply and demand at current consumption levels. But you bring up a great point about current consumption and about people going back to work. When people do go back to work, it's just a matter of when. It's not uh, if. When yeah. people go back to work, uh, when people start going on vacations again, and cruise liners start consuming oil, when when international air travel gets back to normal, whatever that may, new normal might look like, clearly it won't be at the levels uh, that uh, you know that we had say in February of this year. A lot of that demand is going to come back. Uh-huh. Uh, we've had, we've done a previous segment, Mahesh, about yeah. about alternate technologies, yes. uh, you know, for for production of energy. Uh, there has not been any meaningful movement in alternate fuels, uh, in renewable energy. There's been progress, do not get me wrong. But yeah. all of that progress, I don't know if our speculator would say, probably is added to about you know, 10 million barrels a day worth of BTUs, right? Um, yeah. But when your demand's down 27%, like you point out, mm-hmm. all of that what might otherwise seem meaningful in terms of percentage uh, growth in solar capacity and wind capacity um, do nothing relative to the 100 million barrels a day worth of demand that we were experiencing just two months ago. So I think the, the, uh, a lot of players are going to disappear because of this downturn. They're going to disappear because they didn't manage their balance sheets correctly, mm-hmm. which means a lot of production is either going to be shut in or abandoned, mm-hmm. and that there will come a time when uh, the the economy opens up and when people go back to work that for some short period of time, we will likely not have enough capacity for energy production, all kinds of, all kinds of energy forms. So I can see, depending on how long this downturn, this uh, COVID-related shutdowns last, uh, I can see a lot of businesses going uh, under yeah. and us not being able to gear oil production back up that, that you know, for some short period of time, I can see oil going into the 70s or 80s and, you know, God forbid, 100. But all of that is, again, the, the, the uh, fluctuations, swings in the price of oil. But I believe that longer-term demand, Mm-hmm. will probably return to somewhere in the 90 to 100 million barrels a day. Yeah. And um, and oil prices will likely come back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. When I say longer term, I have four or five years out. Yes, and, and what you say is very correct. Even if we, we take the, you normalize the numbers for the year with 27 million barrels demand removed from global oil demand for obvious reasons. There are lockdowns in most of the countries. You know, first you take care of life, then yep. you have uh, life supporting and, li- and other mechanisms behind it. But what the total impact of this will probably be 4 billion barrels removed in all of 2020. That is all put together. And as you correctly said, the forecast is by end of the year, we will be coming close to that original demand of uh, 100,000 barrels, million barrels per day. Now, see the impact of we did not shut down exactly like many countries did total shutdown. In U.S. itself for April, they had partial uh, reduction in traffic in March, 30% of U.S. oil demand disappeared in one month. 
I think that's what is what you yeah. rightly said that it is all reflection of the demand right now, which is almost equal to you know um, from 20 million barrels per day, uh, it went down to 14 million barrels per day, which is huge. And what they're saying is because yeah. of the consumption being so high, the demand side in U.S. that the impact of 30 percent reduction now. But gradual increase, they're forecasting from May, the demand will start going up. And we're seeing some states are opening up. The net impact for the full year will be around 18.4. And it will start coming close to the full demand uh, by third or fourth quarter of the year. So that demand side will start recovering. So it is not there to stay forever. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. While While there are folks... Yeah. Um, that want to take advantage um, and switch from, you know, our, our reliance on fossil fuels to more renewable fuels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see, Mahesh, frankly, um, any technology. Look, I'm an engineer. I pay close attention to uh, technologies. Uh, I don't see any real way if demand goes back up. Now, there, there is a big if there, clearly, like you mentioned, while some states have begun to open up here in the U.S., yeah. uh, there's also the fear that there may be a second wave of corona resurgence, if you will, uh, as China is experiencing right now. It's not major. Mm-hmm. So, look, there's, clearly, we don't know the timing, right? We don't know the when of it, but we certainly know that demand is going to come back mm-hmm. and that in these short many months where demand is depressed, there isn't going to be some magical alternate energy source that's going to permanently displace the demand for oil. Mm-hmm. Very well, uh, Santosh, uh, we are coming to end of our second session. Great discussion. We'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions after the break. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and I have with me... Uh, Santosh, Chief Executive of Lone Star Group and Board Member of PESA, Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. We are talking about what's happening with oil uh, during a pandemic. Uh, Santosh, great discussions in earlier sessions on uh, some of the speculation on the pricing uh, and, and the future contracts and all and the demand side. Now, uh, can you throw some light on what's happening on the supply side? Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. I think this is one place where while there's uncertainty, I'm pretty certain that the world is not going to look like uh, it did before. Uh, you know, we, we addressed in the last session that uh, in the last segment that there's going to be some permanent downward pressure uh, in terms of production here in the U.S. Uh, a lot of the smaller companies are going to disappear. There's going to be a lack of investment for some short period of time. Uh, that's going to force uh, capacity to uh, be reduced, production capacity to be reduced. There's also clearly um, the larger players like Saudi Aramco, which is clearly the entire nation of Saudi Arabia, and Russian oil production that are going to take um, some interesting dynamics. Uh, this actually gets into geopolitical. I think I think we can all agree that the world 
has got plenty of oil and we now know uh, or have relatively inexpensive ways to produce oil. Now, having said that, I think most countries politically, if you ask the average person on the street, uh, is really concerned about the fact that a significant portion of, at least here in the U.S., and not merely in the U.S., I deal with uh, a lot of folks in Europe, that are very concerned that their supply chain for non-oil-related stuff um, is coming out of one country, China. And given that they've been associated with the origins of COVID, I think most folks, I know, for instance, here in Texas, you know, I know our local senators, um, our local congressmen, our congresswomen are uh, pushing for diversification of supply out of China. Many are pushing for um, bringing production of goods and services, particularly, you know, key goods like masks, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, you know, drugs, testing kits, uh, and not just that, other key commodities that we were relying on the low-cost production out of China uh, to be reshored. You know, remember the offshoring bit in the early 90s? I think now we're beginning to start reshoring right. uh, a lot of countries. So I think that will significantly shift the way demand for energy is going to, um, you know, is going. So I think there'll be less demand, frankly, for energy into China, and there'll be more demand for energy into uh, countries that consume the end-use product that the energy is used for, um, which then brings some interesting dynamics into play. Um, you know, big buyers like China probably will not have the leverage uh, for for oil or for energy. So they have great leverage with Russia and with uh, with uh, Saudi. I think that's going to disappear a little bit. I also believe that uh, given that the U.S. is energy independent anyway, you know, we produce 13.1 million barrels a day. We don't consume all of that. We're actually a net, a net exporter. Having said that, we also import quite a bit of oil. And many of your uh, listeners may not appreciate the fact that the use of oil, refineries, are generally designed around a particular type of crude. There's all kinds of crude. Uh, they go by API gravity. They, they, you know, they call them sweet crude, sour crude. Um, you know, what, what folks just generally need to know that all refineries are not the same and cannot accept oil from all over the world. So certain refineries are designed for oil from certain parts of the world. And I think that is going to shift fundamentally. So I, I think most countries, I think there's going to be a deglobalization of the way energy is consumed, the way goods and services are going to be provided, and consequently the way energy is consumed, which then will change the dynamic of you know countries that are highly reliant on oil for their political stability, for their uh, global influence, will find themselves with not the global influence, not the money that they need for political stability mm-hmm. and could get unstable. And I think uh, Western countries where there's higher consumption of goods and services might might be okay with paying a little bit more money for supply chain assurances. So I think there's going to be some, some you know, interesting movements in the way energy is consumed, uh, which will then, and, and restrictions on where energy comes from. Because, uh, yeah, so that will also be, be also become a factor here. So, right. so also on the, on the, on the supply side, you, you bring in a very good point that although U.S. has a slump in their consumption, but whatever production they have on the supply side, that cannot be used by all the refiners in U.S. because some of the refineries in this largest market are set up for heavy crude like Brent or, or getting from other countries. So they still will have to keep importing. Yeah, that's that's right. I think I think in the short term, um, you know, if, if refiners determine that we've got plenty of um, crude and we'd rather use domestic crude, which they can now get at a reasonable price, actually, you know, at least in the in the near to midterm, it might be worth investing in converting some of these refineries to be able to accept the sweeter U.S. crude or the lighter gravity crude for sure than, say, the heavier Venezuelan crude, right? So uh, there are a lot of lot of dynamics at play there, I think, but the, the underlying point is exactly that. If you make the investment, you can get a lot more energy independent as, as a country. Um, I think demand for oil in the country, oil produced in this country, will actually 
go up. You know, I don't know if it's ever going to go back to 13.1 million, million barrels a day, but it will go up, you know, to, to probably 10, 11, 12 million barrels a day relatively quickly. Um, the, the, the disadvantage at that point would be, um, other countries which are desperate, like Saudi, um, and like Russia, uh, to to sell their oil overseas will significantly discount their oil. That'll likely make commercial production of crude oil in the U.S. not financially viable. So there's a lot of question marks out there. You know, if, if you were simplistic, you would say there's plenty of energy in this world and there's plenty of crude oil in this world. And if you just think of you know the world as one consumer of energy, uh, there's likely less demand and more supply. But I think I think what we should watch for is governments getting a bit more parochial and wanting to be a lot more independent and wanting to ensure that their uh, energy supply chains and their product supply chains um, are uh, reliable. Uh, yeah, I, I think we'll see shift in energy demand. I can see demand for energy in the U.S. going up as we start bringing some of the lower cost items uh, that were being manufactured in China back to the US. Uh, they may be lower cost, but they still require energy to produce. So I could see actually net energy consumption in the US going up uh, if, if companies or governments chose to bring uh, production of goods and services back into the US or into, uh, into Europe. Yeah, so it looks like in terms of demand side, as you rightly said, that is already hit the bottom because there's no airline. The jet fuel is almost dead. The people are not traveling. Yeah. Hotels are, yeah. are, are empty. Nobody's planning vacations. So all this yeah. entertainment money and all the, all the social gathering places are shut down. So the, the moment there is some positive traction there, that will increase the demand side of it. Yeah. Now, beyond that, and as you bring in a very good point, if the offshoring to onshoring or reshoring starts to happen, there can be a dramatic change in the demand side and uh, on the on the supply side. Do you think that 10 million barrels, uh, which Saudi and Russians uh, they they decided to cut, that was supposed to come in play in May? It, it probably has not even come come into uh, play because it's not easy to cut the production because you can damage a valve. I mean, you can damage a lot of things while you're cutting it down. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that, that's right. That's right. I think I think there are two elements to it. There is one: the can you do it, and second is the political will to do it. Right? You can never rely on open. I mean, history shows that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, what's called speeding or cheating going on, right? There are, you know, there are, so again, you know, the Saudis and the Russians are rich. They have, um, you know, I, I believe the Russians have 150 billion in their rainy day fund. And um, the Russian, the, the Saudis have nearly doubled that. They can withstand lower oil prices for longer, but the other OPEC members really do not have that choice. So, you know, there may not be the political will, um, you know, and, and clearly there is, you know, there are limitations mechanically as to whether or not you can actually completely shut down production or reduce production without causing some damage uh, to the oil fields themselves or to mm -hmm. related equipment. So mm -hmm. given all of that, I don't think oil can react as fast as demand has dropped, uh, which would be the concern. So I think June and July are not going to be rosy. In fact, they may be as bad as April and May, it looks like it's going to be right now. Yes. Uh, but I think also as the market recovers, sorry, go on, Mahesh. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, please. No, so as, so as the, as the markets recover, uh, if, if where we source, where each country sources product from, uh, starts changing, uh, then we'll see that folks that were demanding and controlled uh, demand for oil are going to disappear and others are going to demand more. So, you know, look, if you are, if you are a nationalist, you can imagine a situation where the U.S. will not even import oil from Canada or Mexico, which is highly unlikely. And we completely, that combined with reshoring, which means, uh, demand growth for, for producing in country. Uh, I can see that, uh, in, in a world where there may be tariffs imposed or there may be bans of importing oil from other countries, 
I can see how the U.S. oil industry can flourish. Mm. But I can also equally see that if the producers don't keep costs low, the temptation to start buying really cheap oil, say $10 a barrel oil from Saudi, goes up. So uh, this is going to be an interesting dance. And I think, I, think, I think it's uncertain as to how certain countries are going to perform. But uh, gosh, is this disruption at its best? Well, you bring in a very good point, and I think we will take a break at this point because uh, a lot of players, how the geopolitics will play out uh, in future. And let's talk in our next segment a little bit about what we see for the future. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll continue our discussion, Santosh, after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, We have... Santosh Vidas, Chief Executive of Lone Star Group and Board Member of Petroleum Equipment Suppliers Association. Very exciting discussions we are having, very intriguing about the oil and gas industry with the expert. Uh, Santosh, we talked about what happened in the futures, then on the demand side, then on the supply side. Now, there's one important factor which always plays in oil and gas, the geopolitics. So in this segment, can we uh, discuss a little bit about how the geopolitics will play out in the current situation? Uh, what do you think our listeners should uh, look for in the oil in future? Yeah, so um, it, 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 it's a great point and clearly has, you know, the geopolitical overtones um, and, you know, very, very difficult to judge. Uh, having said that, I think I think there are a few things that we know. Uh, we know, for instance, certain countries are highly dependent on oil, and unfortunately, very dependent as in the, the biggest source of their GDP, and, and consequent and tax revenues, uh, or or um, you know um, uh, revenues period. Those countries that are highly reliant on the price of oil uh, to feed their people. Uh, to stymie social unrest, um, to provide jobs, etc., uh, have a lot potentially to lose. Uh, there are, without naming names, some of the largest countries in the world, uh, their governments uh, could potentially go under unleashing chaos. So there are some so- social consequences. Um, countries that didn't diversify, you know, and, and there is this, this bane of having... Uh, reliance, over-reliance on just one or two commodities. You know, diversified markets like here in the U.S., where, yeah, while in Texas it may be a struggle for many families, um, the country as a whole doesn't really really rely on oil for either, uh, you know, its budget or its social costs budget uh, or its tax revenues. Uh, yeah, unemployment's going to be uh, pretty bad in places like North Dakota, in places like Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, but the rest of the country may potentially benefit from the lower cost of oil. That cannot be said of countries like Saudi and Russia, where governments are already in tenuous positions at best. Uh, same with Venezuela, another example that we've talked about in the past, and more recently Mexico, 
there's going to be, I think, a fundamental shift in how these countries think, actually, the, the, the government's ability to survive. That's something we need to watch out for because I think there's some negatives that's going to come out of really low prices of oil. While it's generally good for the end consumer, uh, it is not good for the stability of certain parts of the world. Um, I can potentially see wars breaking out over, um, you know, uh, folks, uh, civil wars, I mean, you know, where, where uh, folks are so disappointed in the way their countries, you know, the populations are so disappointed in the way uh, their country is managing their budgets that there could be, you know, real social unrest. I can see a balance of power shifting, uh, you know, the, the tenuous balance of where power used to lie with oil producers uh, can likely sh shift, causing uh, some serious damage. Uh, so, you know, where do you want to go with it? There are the geopolitics of, um, you know, sustained lower price of oil, which, by the, by the way, I don't think is going to happen. Right? I mean, if you think about, you know, despite what I mentioned the last segment about maybe demand for energy moving around and supply constraints being put in place, um, I think as a globe, before the COVID, uh, our economies were doing just fine. You know, some better than others. And in the U.S., we were doing extremely well. And I expect that we will get back to those levels of um, GDP growth and consequently energy demand growth um, you know, here in the States, uh, possibly in Europe. But depending on where the supply of oil is going to come from and where oil prices are going to remain over the medium term even, say two to three to four years, uh, it could be disastrous for certain nations. You're very true. What you're saying is very right. If you look at the U.S. economy, the the stock market was at the peak. The unemployment probably was the lowest. And yep. everything was working well till the pandemic broke out. And suddenly it has started hurting some industries like retail has been hurt pretty badly and a lot of them. But now we're talking about oil and gas. That also got hit. Yeah, and I think I think I think there's there's even more to it, right? There are there are I think other fundamental shifts that we are yet to understand. You know, you asked me, you know, what what else should we look for? I think we're all getting really comfortable working from the house and actually getting quite productive working out of the house. So I think I think um, we're also getting a, you know, a lot more comfortable ordering online and not necessarily having to go to a mall um, or a retail store. So I think uh, real estate would be an interesting area to watch for. I think retail, which is already in a pretty bad shape, like JP Morgan, I'm sorry, like uh, JC Penney's uh, of the world, um, you know, will, as Sears is, right, will have to completely restructure, probably disappear. I think big box stores are likely going to disappear, mm -hmm. uh, or at least, you know, substantially uh, shrink. And I think uh, uh, e-commerce enabled uh, companies uh, will get substantially better. I think same goes for restaurants. I think uh, you know, takeout services and delivery services, there's going to be substantial demand growth. And, yeah, um, you know, but may maybe I could argue that, you know, bars and restaurants uh, might might get back to pre-COVID levels. I don't think I can argue that uh, um, retail is going to get back to pre-COVID levels, which then, you know, changes the way we think about real estate. I think, I think uh, a lot of companies, including mine, we're thinking about permanently shifting a good portion of our labor force uh, to work from the house. I and mean, then, come on, right? who doesn't want to work from the house? You potentially save on childcare. You certainly save on commute. In a city like Houston, uh, you save time because you're not you know, sitting in traffic um, for 45 minutes to an hour each way every day. Uh, so I think there's going to be some other kind of fundamental shifts in the way uh, we think about life. That's that's very good point, Santosh. Uh, before we close, uh, before the closing comments, I want to take your comments on you know, the financial structure of this industry, uh, that the way it was, and, and we are seeing some companies are going into bankruptcy. What do you see there? What's going to happen? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, the combination of, uh, at least in the U.S., not just in the U.S., uh, the monetary and fiscal policies have enabled cheap money for so long that, you know, it was almost criminal for a company not to take on debt. Uh, and you see that. You see that in the balance sheet structures of um, so many businesses. And in the U.S., there is not going to be a bailout for energy companies. And, um, I, you know, uh, oil and related fields are going to suffer. Uh, and some states are going to be hit really badly. Texas, uh, North Dakota, Louisiana, like I mentioned earlier, are going to be hit pretty badly. But I think I think it's something that needs to happen. Uh, I think our 
our over-reliance on, call it free money, certainly cheap money, uh, I think will will change. And I think equity holders will think really differently about leverage uh, going forwards. I think folks are going to be really concerned about cash and, um, you know, a company's ability to deliver cash um, in reduced demand levels, maybe not pandemic-reduced demand levels like we're experiencing now, uh, which so I think the tolerance for investors to invest in highly cyclical businesses is going to change, which I think in the longer run might mean uh, better, you know, uh, capital structures uh, for businesses in industries like ours. Uh, and I think I think some banks need to be punished, uh, and you know certainly uh, many uh, equity holders are going to take big haircuts. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh uh, Santosh, uh, uh, very intriguing discussion. A uh, lot of good information for uh, our listeners and myself. It looks like uh, that as uh, we start recovering from it, the oil demand will go up. And by the way, what uh, was being discussed for the last few years, what the alternate energy will do to oil and gas industry, it could not happen in, in, in that past few years. But one such event took it way beyond that. So uh, in long term still, uh, as we are seeing, the demand has been growing. It has reached 100 million barrels per day. So demand is still there. By end of the year, it may come back close to the same. So the prices will stabilize uh, somewhere, uh, depending on how the geopolitics plays out. And there would be consolidation. And some will be impacted more than others. So it will depend depend on whether it's a, it's a free market economy players playing uh, the companies deciding the prices or the governments are in the play where uh, the social cost of uh, uh, the oil, not just extraction, all put together can be higher. So there'll, there'll be a lot of comparisons happening in uh, next few months. So some exciting times, but we hope that uh, the economies open up where people are able to meet with each other and greet and uh, uh, we, we come back to normal soon. So, Santosh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you for having me back, Mahesh. It's always um, uh, exciting coming on a show like yours. Uh, you force me to think about uh, how the world's going to move, and I enjoy that. Wonderful. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.